Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, a weekly podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek, and this week, what do you do when there's a weather warning? And well, the shelter is still in process. All right. But before we get there, man, it's been hot. It's been really hot where I am. You heard me mention it last week. Well, I did it again this week. This week, I got a little different twist, though, with it. Power outage. Hot day. Not something I like to have in combination. It was strange, though. Sitting there doing my thing. In front of the computer. AC's just cranking. Because it is. It was somewhere in the range of 35C, 95 Fahrenheit. Really warm day. Then it kind of felt like the AC wasn't blowing cold air anymore. Not a good sign. But then I noticed the internet went out. And then even the fan that uh, was helping keep things, the air kind of moving around, keeping me cool. That went out. Other stuff was on. Power to the computer. Fridge still seemed to be doing its thing. All that kind of stuff. Then all of a sudden it all went out. And it seems like what had happened is there was some effort going on in the area. I don't know if it was a power crew or if it was just, there's a lot of construction in my vicinity of something, you know, there was a surge. But in any case, it seemed to impact first at a certain level and then blew a transformer. Bad news for all of us. They got it fixed, got it back up. AC came back on. Mm, Not so much. Fan blew again. Still had that problem with no cool air. Found the circuit breaker. Ah, the circuit had indeed been tripped. Flipped that back over. AC seemed to try to come back on. Then it seemed to not try to come back on. Not good. Now, they've been working up to that point, so I had to hope that hopefully it was somehow related to this and it'll get a fix. Next day, a warm night as you can imagine. Next day, it did indeed turn out to be a small electrical part, which was the thankful thing. And the AC spent the rest of the day trying to cool off the place that had gotten nice and toasty. But we finally cooled off. Things have settled back down here to a reasonable level, which I am grateful for. But, you know... Next couple of weeks, we'll see, but it looks like it looks like things may actually stay in something close to the normal range. Yeah, it's summer. I get that. It's hot and all that sort of thing, but I would prefer to be a little bit more in season, if you will. All right, enough of me whining about the heat. You guys are probably tired of that. Hopefully, it'll, it will be a topic that goes dark going forward. I did see an article this week. It was kind of a follow-up to something we had talked about with the airplanes, right, and, and the data that they provide to the weather models. And they were hypothesizing about how it could influence hurricane tropical cyclone forecast. It's been a very busy season here in the North Atlantic already. Got another storm right now that looks like it could have a big impact across the eastern seaboard of the U.S. You know, whether it makes landfall or not, it's a little early to tell. But could be lots of rain win for huge amount of the population that lives near the eastern seaboard. How are those forecast? Are they being influenced by this lack of data? You know, there was one last week that kind of did a hard turn in, into a different area of Texas, made landfall stronger than originally forecast. But I get back to this thing that when tropical cyclones are first forming, it's not uncommon for us to see some variance in the forecast to see some big shifts. 
we tend to get a better grasp on them or the weather models do once they're more established. Now, there are ways to get around this challenge with the data missing. It's also not uncommon with powerful storms for the agencies to drop drop sons, as we call them, in giving us weather measurements, you know, kind of reverse of a weather balloon, if you will, right? So it's going from a higher level in the atmosphere to the ground, but it creates that vertical profile. And they do it in a grid, gives additional data, and improves the quality of the forecast. But a benefit of tropical cyclones and hurricanes is they are very well tracked. The air in the forecast is tracked well. And so this might be a way to evaluate if it was a year with poorer performance in terms of the forecast for these events. So we'll see. I'm guessing somebody will do a paper on that. So maybe we'll have some follow-up on that topic. All right, let's get back to this idea of there's a weather warning. Let's use thunderstorms as an example, lightning and thunderstorms. But the shelter's still in process. You guys heard me talk about this. Construction project near me. Caught out, I don't know how many people, let's say 20 construction people, top of a building, under two tarps. That was the version of staying safe. Lightning going all around. Not the best solution, in my opinion. Didn't seem like there was much of a plan. Now, I know sometimes people go, well, there's other tall things around. Lightning should strike that. Yeah, a lot of times it does, but this building's actually pretty exposed. And the other tall buildings aren't that close. So it didn't seem like the plan was all that great of a plan. Kind of irritated me. You you get 20 to 25 million lightning strikes in the U.S. a year. A lot of them. Most of those don't do any damage. Don't hurt anybody. I think between, I I saw studies like between 2006 and 2019, there were around 250 deaths. Most of them leisure. A lot of times people get caught out on the water or in open areas. But somewhere in the range of 15 to 20% happen in work environments. A good chunk of those is in things like construction or roofing, et cetera. Again, exposed. This was an example of that. Seems like something easy to avoid. So what was their plan? I mean, there's even guidelines. There's agencies, OSHA, which is, you know, a safety organization for workers, worked with NOAA to develop a lightning safety thing. And there's supposed to be a plan. What do they do? And I, I really can't believe that, that TARPS is the answer. I don't know. But on the flip side of that, I was in Home Depot this week, right? And I walked up to check out, and there's somebody with a buggy, and they have one thing of water. It's like, you know, 12 waters or whatever. And a big old cooler. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a really big cooler for a little bit of water. And then they started hitting that UPC code with a scanner and ding, 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 ding about 20 times. So I was like, ah, they're taking more water. So they seem to be thinking about the heat. And I even noticed at the construction site that that afternoon, and I noticed this on another day as well, once the heat of the day really kicked in, people weren't working on the top exposed level. Most of that work was done in the morning. So clearly... That seems like a case where they did incorporate weather into their plans. And maybe it's a little easier. Maybe you know a hot day's coming and it's going to come gradually over time so you can work it in. You know, I, I can put that in my brain and go, okay, it seems to be the case. It seems logical enough. 
but let, let's step back from it just the safety standpoint. I mean, that's one of them. Or, or you could call it a productivity standpoint. Hot days certainly going to impact productivity. But construction weather, as you can construction takes place outside. They are linked, no matter how you slice it. They're interconnected, intertwined in, in every way, shape, and form. Okay? I mean, we can see it. You can watch any sort of home and garden television show where they're doing renovations or whatever they're doing. New construction, whatever it is. And you'll always see them. They're, they're, any one I've ever seen, you know, because they'll go through their process. There's always some sort of weather delay. It's cold, they couldn't do something, or they had storms come through. Whatever it is, there's always a weather element to it, right? And it can impact things. You, know, you think about, yeah, it can impact workers being able to do certain things, but it can influence materials. It can influence, as I said, you know, if you, you can't pour concrete when it's too cold because it won't set, or you can't do it when it's too hot because the water might get drawn out too fast and it makes it, not as strong. So there's all sorts of ways it can influence it. I mean, there's the obvious ones we think about, but the more you, you kind of break it down, there are ones that we probably don't even think about that in theory, people in this industry should be considering. So when I went and started to do the research, I found papers going back. It's funny. We have this journal with the American Meteorological Society called BAMS. It's just the bulletin of the American Meteorological Society. It's more, I would call it a generic journal where there's a lot of very targeted journals that have a very tuned audience, if you will. So they get a certain type of articles. But BAMS a lot of times gets more of these general articles or um, something that may have a broader appeal. And I found a paper in there, and I was like, oh, they, they were showing a cover from a recent one. So I was like, oh, this is a new article. But no, it's from 1966, right? So it's not a new topic, as I said. And they've been writing about it for a while. And like the markets scenario, I found them for different countries, whether it was Qatar or the U.K. or Canada. And you can imagine each one of those had different elements they thought about. You know, maybe it's a desert setting, so it's the heat and you know the humidity levels. Or in the UK, you know, rain comes to mind. Or in Canada, you know, freezing or snow comes to mind. But one thing I found interesting is across the board, wind was one that's a very big issue for construction. And you can imagine that, right? And it influences both the ability to do things, the keeping material from blowing away or whatever it is. But it also is a safety thing, you know, so... Across the board, that was there. So we get back to this thing, the construction, it's about worker safety, it's about worker performance, but it's about materials, it's about being able to do certain types of construction, all those things. It's a very common component in this industry. So what's going on? What gives? What did, what did the research show? Well, it showed some very major impacts. That paper from 1966, and I'll extrapolate it into kind of modern dollars. For the U.S., it suggested that somewhere between $25 billion to $75 billion, roughly, of losses directly related to weather every year. I think the U.K. one showed something like it adds 20% to every project in delays. 
Whereas if weather data was used properly in the planning stages, you could save as much as 15. It's a huge shift. That's a, a big change, both in time and money. So, yeah, I mean, all, always you're getting sort of a best case or hypothetical scenario. But no matter what, all of them suggested there's some savings to be made. Yet all of them seem to imply that not much was done with weather data. Now, I always try to take that in and absorb it and say, okay, that's just the way they're writing it. But for me to see something on the order of 60 to 70 years worth of, of research papers, all of them kind of hinting at the same idea, which is it's a big influence, but not enough's done to incorporate it. And each took a step. Each talked about the challenges for the day they were in. But the more modern papers really kind of pointed out it's so easy now for a crew, let's say wins the, the issue, right? For you to put very simple instrument on the top, whatever level you're doing work on, right? And know what the wind is at any given time and be able to make even real-time adjustments. But life's not always that simple. Yeah, you can do certain things in that in that moment. If winds get to a certain level, maybe a, a little warning goes off on somebody's phone and they know to start locking things down. But as the UK one pointed out, and they even gave a tool, right? They created this tool and said, please use it. The planning phase, you know, it, it gets even into that, which is here's signals you can look at. And with some forethought, you can work these into your schedule. So I had all this talk, right, of, well, you should do more. You should incorporate this stuff. There's no reason not to, whether it's at the seasonal level, whether it's at the real-time level or in between. You know, it's, it's going to be a hot day. Prepare for your crew. There's thunderstorms potentially today. At least be aware. So what's going on? And, you know, where's the truth in this? Where's the real balance between how much data is being used and not? So I started also reading some things like, you know, industry associations that had comments about this or risk management ones that, you know, worked with construction as well. And they all kind of highlighted the fact they continued to, which is it's a big issue and we don't do enough with it. And, you know, you get always get a quote in there like, some CEO of a big construction company going, well, the forecasts aren't good enough. Well, you know, I've heard that line before. And, you know, maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago it wasn't. I think one of the other things that comes into this is it's our natural intuition to think we know, particularly with construction people. A lot of times it's people that know the area well, right? So let's pick a city. I don't know, Toronto, Canada. And you may say, okay, well, I know roughly when the freezes come and when things are going to thaw out. But if you start looking at the variance, if you know it's going to be a, a warm spring, for instance, you might be able to get a huge head start. And it gets back to that number. Instead of there being a 20% delay, what if there was a 15% gain? But what I got to at the end of all this research is still kind of this unknown. Are construction companies really just not using the data? Do they is it is there no motivation? I don't know enough about the contract structure, right? So if there's weather delays, is it like in the airline industry where if it's a weather delay, they don't have to give you a hotel room or compensate you or whatever else? Is it the same thing? You know, are the contracts such that weather delays don't hurt them? 
you know, what's the motivation to get a project done earlier unless you have another project already scheduled with that? And so maybe the gained efficiencies aren't worth it. I don't know. But here we have this industry that's so interlinked with, with weather. There ought to be a way to do that. So I'm wondering if there is somebody out there. I'm, I'm hoping somebody will listen to this and say, no, I, I can help you with this. I, can, I know exactly what's going on, how much we're using it. Because there were, there were tools. I found tools. Right? I found weather tools that were like, here's what you do. And I know we've got a challenge in that I'm looking at an industry as a whole, and there's big players and there's small players. This is definitely an industry where you can imagine little construction companies doing a small job or that's how they go about business. It just may not be feasible for them to, to work a lot of weather data in it. You know, it's not cost effective. Either their people don't have the skill set or the tools really aren't there at a cost effective level to do it because the margins aren't large enough in the business. And so they, they just take the chance and the customers just know that, that there might be weather delays. So maybe it's just, we've all expected that. But end of day there, this is an industry with, I guess to me, a huge opportunity. And it seems like there's the tools to make it better. So is it really that the forecasts aren't that good or good enough for what they need? Is it that the people that manage the projects don't have the tools or the knowledge to incorporate those forecasts properly? Is it that, you know, there's no motivation because the contracts aren't such or the, you know, the timelines aren't such where it'll get there. But I have to imagine that, you know, when push comes to shove, you know, in this world we live in, it, it's about bottom line. And if you can get a project done that much faster and get onto another one and start making more money to do that, it seems like you would want to do that. Seems like you would want to do that. But maybe, maybe what happens is there is too much variability. Maybe end of day, it's better to have a steady state project with some buffer built in. Knowing that you're going to have some off days in there and you may just not know exactly where they are. So why overthink it? You know, if you happen to get done quicker, maybe that's good. I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I, I turned this one around in my head and I didn't come up with a solid answer. I came up with a lot of whys it might be because everything I kept reading kept suggesting that the industry doesn't do enough to use weather data and that there's opportunity to do it. That, that was the, the part that kind of struck me as interesting. These weren't necessarily weather people telling them there was opportunity. These were people within their own industry saying, hey, there's opportunity to do this. I don't know. This one left me at a hmm kind of state. So if you're out there and you got some insights, let me know if you're out there and you know someone who you think might have some insights. Feel free to have them reach out. What is it about the weather at gmail.com? I'd like to know more about why. You know, Like I said, I had this direct experience where I saw one time it seemed like the forecast was ignored. Another time it seemed like at least people were cognizant of it. But I don't know enough about the inner workings, and I didn't find enough about the inner workings to suggest, hey, it is or it isn't used, and here's some clear answers as to why that is. All right, enough about weather and construction. You heard me mention a couple weeks ago, I found an interesting follow-up to 
those lightning records that we talked about, right? It was that region in South America. It threw me off. But actually, it's a pretty well-known region for this kind of stuff. Maybe it's not as well-known because, again, there's just not been as much coverage of it. But there was a neat article, again, look in the show notes, about the thunderstorms in this region. And it was, I think it was in the New York Times, their magazine, kind of like their Sunday magazine section. So it's a nice long article that talks about it and a special research project that's going on down there to better understand these storms and the conditions that contribute to their formation and why this region. So if you found the idea of those lightning records interesting, or if you're into these kind of things, you know, whether it's storm chasing or whatever it is, you might be interested to learn about this. Supposed the largest hailstone ever known is this little old lady's got it in her freezer down there. Kind of a neat thing. All right. Well, I went a little long last week, so I decided to keep this one a little shorter. And like I said, this topic even <laughs> lended itself to that. Kind of left me more with questions than answers. And sometimes that's a good thing. Keeps me pondering. Keeps you pondering. But whether you're pondering this topic, or you're trying to stay cool, or you're trying to stay warm if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, whether you're out doing things for fun or for work, whatever it is, or whether you're watching that construction project down the road <laughs> and you go, hmm, and you want to just walk up to him and say, you know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. <laughs>